the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News, and with me, as always... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today, on February 14th, otherwise known as Valentine's Day, we are going to be discussing our favorite romantic comedies. And also, why aren't there any romantic comedies in theaters anymore? This is something that we have seen in the past, I think, like five to seven years in movie theaters where there are just aren't any good old-fashioned rom-coms. You see rom-com lights, you see buddy comedies, you see um, girl comedies that are kind of have the same tropes as a rom-com, but they just aren't the same. So um, there have been a lot of articles recently that say the rom-com is dead or that there's no more of an audience for the rom-com. So what do you guys think? Um, is the rom-com dead? I hope not. <laughs> um, I really love rom-com, so I certainly hope it's not dead. I partially wonder if we've had less of them because of the overwhelming trend of cynicism lately. Mm-hmm. Maybe rom-coms are just too fairy tale, like, not believable which is part of why I love them, but like I mm-hmm. just kind of wonder, I feel like a lot of movies these days are really cynical, and attitudes are cynical, I, and so people don't really want to make those kind of films. Yeah, I, I agree with that to an extent, but rom-coms have been around since, you know, the beginning of cinema history, essentially. You have your bringing up babies, you have your Philadelphia story, you have your Roman holidays. They're a staple of just movie culture in general. And they're, you know, a good old formula to go back to, and people always enjoy them. So um, I know there have been a lot of articles recently that have been saying that um, there's been a dying off of the mid-budget film, which is what a lot of rom-coms are, because you only see um, the blockbusters taking over, your superhero movies, your sequels, that kind of stuff. And then you have, on the other side, just indie films that only cost, like, up to 10 million, I think. I'm, I'm not really sure the exact number, but mid-budget movies and tend to go for, like, in, in between those. And you don't see a lot of them anymore because studios just don't want to take the chance on them. Which is really unfortunate. And, like, I feel like this is when we're going to start seeing that exhaustion of, like, superhero films, as Spielberg was saying, if that's mm-hmm. the only thing that we're getting. Yeah, there's no variety in the cinema anymore. Yeah, which is, like, I know that rom-coms aren't for everyone. Mm-hmm. But they at least offer variety. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think that there, there's a multiple there's multiple factors as to why the romantic comedy might be, you know, not necessarily dead but dying. Um, I think that, like HC said, the romantic comedy budget for a movie is more than an indie, but less than a. Uh, um, superhero movie, so I think that the, the studios just—it's either high risk, high reward, or a safe bet with an indie comedy. Yeah, and I feel like when was the last time we had like a, a like solid rom com? The last one I can remember, honestly, is like the most recent one is Crazy Stupid Love, and that was mm-hmm. wasn't even like traditionally a rom com either. It was kind of more of an ensemble movie with rom com elements. And it was great. It was amazing. Yeah. But that was back in 2011, I think. I feel like the last, like, sort of 
traditional rom-com I remember is Leap Year, mm. which was in 2010 with Matthew Good and Amy Adams. And, like, it's not the best rom-com in the world, mm. um, but I have this kind of soft affinity for it. Um, but it has, like, all those rom-com tropes. Like, they're on a road trip, they have to pretend to be married, mm-hmm. you know, like, they bicker, they have moments of, like, falling for each other, but circumstances keep them... Like, it, it's such, like, a by-the-book rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe it did super well. And that's kind of another... the last one I remember as being, like, a traditional rom-com, and that's that was six years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one that I saw recently, um, but that it came out a couple years ago, um, About Time. With yes, Sean I really Gleason love that movie, and yeah. Rachel McAdams. Uh-huh. That, that's uh, a really it, good one. Mm-hmm. It's really good, but it's not traditional in the sense that it's like just about them. It's also got a time travel component to it, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a genre pick, but it's not super science fiction-y. Um, but it's, I mean, the movie is definitely about their romance and de- about their lives. Uh, and it's very funny, but you would kind of think of it more as like a weird indie genre pick that is kind of a melding of both romantic comedy and time travel movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but I definitely would count it as a romantic comedy. I see it as a romantic comedy. Fun. Yeah. I think we're seeing like this kind of shift of the rom-com to indie flicks where they do this sort of. Um, kind of subversion, and they bring a more melancholy tone to it, almost. Like, there was, um, like, one of my favorite movies of the past couple years is Once. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of a romance, a little bit of comedy in there, too, but it's also, you know, very melancholic and kind of bittersweet, and it does have, like, that indie feel as well. And you see those with, like, the Noah Baumbach movies. I think that's how you say his name. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, no and Bob back. Bomb back, yeah. Where they're kind of rom coms, but they also are just like very much, very kind of cynical, yeah. Like bittersweet in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, I almost wonder so, like, so we were seeing rom coms go into that kind of indie territory where they try and put like a twist on the rom com, mm-hmm. a la, you know, About Time or like Once, which probably can't be considered a traditional romantic comedy by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, also a Broadway musical. Yes. Um, and so I wonder, are we ever going to get back to traditional rom-coms, and do we want to? I hope so, honestly. I do, too. I am gunning for... more of them. Yeah, like, you know, rom-coms are so looked down on now, but you can't deny the classic nature of When Harry Met Sally, for example. It was a rom-com, it was cheesy, but people still know that it's a good movie. They all agreed it is so. And so I'm hoping for that back to quality rom-com like movement Um, yeah i agree like i want you know i want to have more movies like what nora efron Mm -hmm. put out you know like you've got mail is one of my absolute favorite Mm rom-coms um i miss the tom hanks meg ryan dynamic or Meg Ryan in, like, a lot of rom-coms. All her movies, basically. That's how she got her big break, was with Harry Metelli. Yeah. Yes. And then there's also Kate and Leopold with Hugh Jackman. I actually love that movie, too. So do I. I totally love it. But then, like, I've never seen it. It's one of my first rom-coms, I think. And it also has, like, a time travel bent. But it does. It's, like, I don't know, more traditionally rom-com, because it's, like, oh, kind of over-the-top cheesy. You have your soaring moments of a chase scene in some dramatic area 
um, I don't know. I think there's like that kind of glossy feel that you see with a lot of rom-coms that you don't see with the indie rom-coms today. Yeah, I agree. And it's not like, I feel like there was a spark in rom-coms that we've kind of haven't been able to find again. Because like you had the whole like 80s, 90s maybe early 2000s-ish, like, with those kind of movies, When Harry Met Sally, You've Got Mail, etc., mm-hmm. where you kind of had that, like, spark of rom-coms. And you could see it also in classic Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, HT, you mentioned, like, Bringing a Baby, The Philadelphia Story, Roman Holiday, um, Sabrina. Like, we had that kind of same spark back then as well, mm-hmm. when simply relationships between humans in this kind of snappy, light-hearted way was really engaging, Mm-hmm. And we kind of haven't found that again, I don't think. You know, and I think, you know, like any genre, I feel like genres come and go. You know, we had less rom-coms in the 70s. It's true. Then, oh, yeah. you know, like, it went, again, very cynical. And we're having them less today because it's superheroes, it's big blockbusters, it's hipster indie films, mm-hmm. which are all great. Um, but... I feel like we're kind of in this downward turn of rom-coms, and I hope they make a comeback. And I feel like a lot of genres go through that. You know, the Western goes through that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just hope we can find that spark again. So. What's interesting, though, is that the romantic there were some romantic comedies in the mid-2000s, late-2000s, with uh, Knocked Up and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but they, weren't, they were more male-focused and more, like, man-child learning to grow up and be... A responsible adult, um, and have and get the girl in the end. Whereas, it's not as traditional as when Harry met Sally or something like that. Um, so it's really interesting that those movies have also kind of fallen off. Um, they're not. You know, uh, I think Judd Apatow is coming up with a Netflix series that's kind of a romantic comedy. Um, but as for uh, those type of movies as well, we haven't really seen one since. Uh, I'd say. Um, Probably forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, Yeah. that was probably the last one that they did where it was like, man-child grows up. Um, Oh, This is 40 is kind of like that, but but that's a sequel to Knocked Up with Paul Rudd's character. Yeah, well, and then um, I just remembered, I don't know how I forgot this, but like, uh, just last year we had Trainwreck. That's true. Mm -hmm. Didn't, which, it subverts some of the tropes and kind of flips them on their head a little bit, but like, it definitely has some traditional Mm rom-com elements there. I mean, like, the whole end is very rom-com-y. Um, yeah. And I really liked that film, personally. And that kind of felt like I found I got kind of got glimpses of the rom-coms that I really love. Mm-hmm. But it still wasn't, you know, like, a Nora Ephron rom-com. Did she come back recently to the movie theater? I think um, The Intern was Nora Ephron movie, wasn't it? Was it? I mean, um, I think, did she do that before she passed away? Oh, maybe not. Um, for some reason, I got um, some... Nancy Myers. Nancy Myers, sorry. I mix them up sometimes, but yeah. Yeah, Nora uh, Ephron passed away, I believe, in 2011, 2012. Okay. Um, but Nancy Myers, so it's sort of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have your films like that, like The Intern or, like, you know, Devil Wears Prada, where it has sort of, like familiar vibes. Mm-hmm. It's like it rom-com light. Yeah. Yeah, but still not quite a rom-com. Mm-hmm. And so why do you guys think that people look down upon rom-coms so much? Definitely because they're catered towards women. 
and yeah, there's a there's an inherent sexism to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is why some people think of like the Judd Jet- Apatow movies and kind of elevate them to this sort of uh, oh, they're like better comedy that kind of thing because you know they're catered towards men. Um, and yeah, there's Which a definitely of course inherently make something better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's definitely a more crude comedy too. So, like you know, that 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 doesn't yeah. appeal to everyone. Um, but yeah, the whole kind of it appeals to the man child. Yeah, exactly. The view that women's tastes are lesser than men's is just like I think one of the reasons that the rom com has never been really taken seriously, even though it's a staple. You know, like I said before, which is unfortunate because you can have really smart rom coms. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing about rom coms that I don't get is that like. I mean, I, I guess I get it. Like, women are supposed to be, like, more touchy-feely and sentimental, and they like these kind of films. But it's not like men don't also fall in love. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Yeah. There's just... And, and that's the other thing about, like, with rom-coms, you can kind of get into the discussion of masculinity and how it's looked down upon in the society that men are in touch with their feelings. Mm-hmm. Even though that's a very toxic way of thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we see some of that in, like, the more subversive rom-coms, too, where we have the recent films where the men are kind of on the more romantic side, but then they have that sort of twisted, um, you know, nice guy TM view of romance as well. Like, you see that with 500 Days of Summer, which is a great rom-com, but then people sometimes misinterpret it as being, like, Summer's, like, a bitch, for example, when in fact, yeah, it's, I hate that misinterpretation so much. It's awful. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, it's so the awful. worst. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe people just, they put them down so much, and that's also part of a reason why we don't have them, is do studio heads, like, what do they think of rom-coms these days? And maybe they just don't think that they work anymore. Yeah, that might be the it's case. Possible. Yeah, Which is unfortunate, because I think there's a lot to be found in rom-coms. Like, like, I love them in a way where, like, if it's a rainy day and, like, I have a cup of hot chocolate, like, I will totally love snuggling up to a rom-com. Like, I will admit that I am that stereotype sometimes. It's okay. That's me on a snowy day in, right? on the East Coast. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, you know the holiday? Mm-hmm. Oh. With Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jack Black. Yeah. Kate Winslet and Jack Black making the most, un- like, surprising pairing that works really well. I remember that movie. I was actually not a big fan of it, but... Okay. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I think it's adorable. And, like, that's the kind of, like, I'll admit that I'm that stereotype who, like, will get, like, the warm fuzzies watching a rom-com. But, like, I don't, I don't, like, watch them in, like, this condescending way where, like, I'm ashamed to be, like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna spend a night with rom-coms. Like, I'm totally fine with that. Like, they're, they can have some of the smartest, snappiest scripts, I find. Yeah. And they can touch an emotional core that's more than just, like, oh, love, it's so sad, or it's so heartbreaking, and that kind of stuff. Like, okay, I recently was re-watching 13 Going on 30. That's one of my favorites. It's such a great classic movie. Classic movie. And so classic Ruffalo. Yes. And that's for the time I fell in love with Mark Ruffalo for, like, a brief, you know, five-year, two-year moment. But um, I was watching it recently, and there's, like, this part where um, Jennifer Garner's character realizes that, you know, what what she's done with her life is kind of not great. She's an awful person who, you know cheats on her boyfriend and with, like, her, her co-worker's husband or, like, you know, cheats people out of their job and fires them and that kind of stuff. And she decides, she just, like, goes back home and just, like, takes refuge 
um, with her parents, and she's like, I want to go back to my childhood. And I was watching this movie, and, I, and that part really touched me because there's just like this whole not being able to go back and rewrite your mistakes kind of thing. And it, I started crying, and my mom was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Nope. It, you're yeah, you're talking about the scene where and like that scene where she's on the train and Vienna by Billy Joel yes, starts playing. Vienna starts playing and you're just like, Oh god, Vienna waits for you, yeah. And she just like goes in the closet and tries to like, you know, hit the boxes to like go back in time and it just doesn't work. And that part really touched me and it wasn't just it wasn't like, you know, the love part or any like the whole she can't be with Mark Ruffalo's character kind of thing. It's just that whole realization of um you know, the, you make mistakes and you can't go back sometimes. And I think that, like, rom-coms touch on that a lot. They go on, like, in parts of your emotion that and your experiences that you can't really touch on in, like, action films or drama films or your prestige flicks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. I'll also admit that I'm, like, I'm a total crier. Yes. I, I can cry at, like, commercials. <laughs> I Like, I am a total crier and, like, that movie, especially that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew what scene you were going to mention as soon as you brought that up, because, like, that scene gets me, too. But, like, I don't know, there's something there's something that I also like about rom-coms that let me feel vulnerable mm-hmm. with the movie um, that I kind of don't get with other films sometimes, and I find it really nice and kind of refreshing to just kind of let myself be vulnerable yeah. like with a, a film. It's like a warm blanket. You can just, like, depend on it to make you feel good and happy and gooey at the end. Even if, like, there's a bittersweet ending. Like, some some of my favorite rom-coms have bittersweet endings. Like, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is my favorite film. Um, I like Ooh, the... That one's rough. That one's rough. I like the Before Trilogy, which are, like, very bittersweet, too. But they give you that same kind of uh, emotion of just feeling these people go through this cathartic emotional journey and still reaching like that same place and whether there's a happy ending at the end or not I still like yeah yeah and sometimes I feel people ding rom-coms for being unrealistic and Mm -hmm. they are Mm -hmm. but like so are a lot of other movies like you think sci-fi is realistic like you think you can believe a guy can fly but you can't believe that these people can have fall in love in, like, the most unusual circumstances or something. Yeah, and maybe people ding them for being unrealistic more than sci-fi because people actually do fall in love, and so they give you unrealistic expectations of love. Mm-hmm. And there is a danger in that, I'm sure, but, like, there's also a danger in that with other types of media and fiction, mm-hmm. you know, in their ways. And as long as you kind of keep a level head sometimes, like, you know, it's like... um the Jane Austen story, Northanger Abbey, mm-hmm. where the main character, Catherine, she reads novels a lot, and she starts kind of conflating her novels with, like, real life and expecting the kind of grand things that happen in the novels to happen in real life. And that is a danger, but that's a danger with any type of fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think rom-coms should be dinged more than others for being unrealistic when they can, like any other media, they can be a, t- a form of escape. Yeah, that's what but, movies are. They're escapism. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's unrealistic to, to think that you're going to watch a movie, a romantic comedy, for two hours and not expect these people to fall in love pretty quickly, or like at, in one magical turn. Like they're fairy tales, but they're it's you can't expect like a six hour miniseries about two two people falling in love because you, it's a two hour movie. 
Yeah, and, like, I don't, like, leave a rom-com going, like, oh, yes, this is going to happen to me tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just nice to kind of escape to that happiness for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So I have a question for you guys. Okay. There's a rom-com that I have been trying to, like, crack for years, and I can't crack it. Okay. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's made in Manhattan. Okay, I, I love Lopez. that movie. <laughs> okay, but Jennifer Lopez and Ray Fiennes. And also, Tyler Posey was the kid. Yeah, who little baby. Teen Wolf. Little baby Tyler Posey. Yeah. I, this movie, I, like, I can't crack it. It, make, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, I'm so confused by it. Sorry I think because that. the pairing of Ray Fiennes and Jennifer Lopez makes absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> Uh, because, like, this man had two Oscar nominations at this point in his career. And then he did this. And I, I, like, I want to know why. You know, he can do a rom-com if he wants. <laughs> he um, totally can. But it just, it, it baffles me because I'm like, Ray Fiennes, you're one of the most respected English actors. Like, why didn't you go do, like, a Richard Curtis rom-com a la Hugh Grant? Which, by the way, young Hugh, Hugh Grant and rom-coms can get it. Yeah, I had a huge young, Hugh Grant. Sloppy. I had a huge Hugh Grant phase, and I went through all of his rom-coms, too. Same. (laughs) Notting Hill is my absolute favorite. I'm actually a big fan of Two Weeks Notice, which is a weird choice, but I love it. Yeah, it is. But yeah, yeah, Made in Manhattan is just so strange. Also, the fact that Ray Fiennes plays a Republican politician. (laughs) This is, like, baffling you, the the random details of this movie. Okay, listen to me. It's like a weird Opposites Attract movie, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, and, like, I, I know details because, like, I'm literally, I'm trying to crack this movie and I can't. <laughs> and it's, like, so he falls in love. So Jennifer Lopez plays a maid, a Latina maid, in a hotel that he stays at in Manhattan. And she goes into the room of this other, like, wealthy woman who's played by uh, the late Natasha Richardson, um, who was the wife of Liam Neeson, who was Ray Fiennes' best friend. So... There's backstory there. She goes into a room and she tries on one of her dresses when no one's in there. And Ray Fiennes walks in and thinks that she's, you know, a wealthy woman staying there. And they fall in love under this disguise that she's not the maid of the hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because it has those, like, political themes. Because, like, she's a Latina and she's a maid and he's a Republican politician. <laughs> it's so weird. And, like, I'm just like, Ray Fiennes, like, what? Like, this is the man... Who was in Schindler's List as a Nazi and won, and got an Oscar nomination. Like, this is the man who does, like, tortured romance stories, like The English Patient. And then, like, this movie happened. And I was like, what? Hey, Liam Neeson was in Love Actually, okay? Okay, but Love Actually is a Richard Curtis, like, yeah, that's true. British, like, you know, he did Notting Hill in Four Weeks in a Funeral. Yes, four Weddings in a Funeral. Mm-hmm. Like, Richard Curtis, he also did About Time. Oh, Richard right. Curtis is that, like... English writer who, like, and director who, like, does all those, like, lovely English rom-coms that are, like, so great, and I love them. Quirky and sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Made in Manhattan, just, like, it it's baffles me. I, I, just... <laughs> I enjoy Made in Manhattan, because I saw it when I was young, and, like, I was very um, impressionable back then, so, you know, every movie to me was great. So I, I liked Man- Made in Manhattan. All the tropes were new to me. I didn't know that it was all cliched or that Ray Fiennes was in Schindler's List. I was just like, this is great. They're falling in love and she's a maid. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because as I've gotten older, I've kind of realized it's more things. And also Ray Fiennes is one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. And so like, I like will watch his movies and then like I'll get to that one and I'll be like, <laughs> 
This is like it's this weird like outlier in his career. And it just it just confuses me. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other actors who have like a weird um I don't know, foray into rom coms or some sort of film that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry? McConaughey. Had his weird faith with like um Failure, failure to launch. Well, he started yeah. his career uh, in... Ghost of um, Girlfriend's Past. Yeah. He started his career in rom-coms. That's, like, what he was known for up until True Detective and Lincoln Lawyer rolled around. Um, yeah. One of the first rom-coms I saw, actually, another one that was I saw at an impressionable age, and I was like, this is a great movie. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yep. I actually... Um, secret for me, I judge most rom-coms by the standard of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which is, by all accounts, an awful movie. But for me, it was, like, the first time I saw, like, you know, the staircase scene where she shows up in a gorgeous dress, you know, like, the whole... It's hilarious and it's terrible, but... Yeah, and then... I was thinking of another actor who's, like, sort of, like, an outlier in rom-coms. It's Gerard Butler. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's a lot of them. Like, the big, beefy, like, action guy. And then he'll sometimes do these random romance movies. He, not good romance movies though. Cool. Yes, I love you. I didn't. I thought that like, it was okay, but then he was in um, the Ugly Truth was like, which was bad. Catherine Heigl, so, I think, is one of the reasons that the rom com has kind of down, gone downhill. Actually, in what way? In terms of quality, um, you like, think that she's adding bad quality to them, or I think that she chooses movies that don't have that kind of not give a bad name to rom coms, but kind of. Um, fulfill people's expectations of, like, the bad rom-com. And, I totally agree. Yeah, and thus kind of has lessened its reputation in a way. I mean, it's maybe not her fault. It's her choices and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, I think one of the reasons is the Catherine Heigl rom-com. But I can't pinpoint it down to that. It's just, like, no, many factors. No, but an element. Because I remember when she was in, like, every rom-com that was coming out. Yeah. And you look back on them now, and they're not great mm-hmm. they don't have that spark that we kind of talked about that was in kind of the older rom-coms like they felt so by the numbers yeah and like manufactured and mm-hmm. just they didn't have that kind of natural chemistry mm-hmm. that you see in the really great rom-coms mm-hmm. and I totally get that I think Katherine Heigl I don't think she's a bad actress by any means I just think her choice in rom-coms and how they turned out I think they might have put, like, a sour taste in people's mouths after the fact. No, I agree with that. Uh, what do, what do you guys think of, like, the teen rom-coms, like, 10 Things I Hate About You, or ECA, or Clueless? I love those. Perfect. And I also think we haven't seen one in a while, either. Like, a good one. Yeah, e- ECA was probably the last one. That mm-hmm. was in 2010. And yeah. that's a great one. No, but 10 Things I Hate About You is so fantastic. That one, with all the great actors before they became famous, Heath Ledger, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. Um, Julia Julia Stiles. I also love Clueless. I will watch Clueless over and over again. And it's funny how both of those are based on great British works. It's true. Yeah. Um, Pretty incredible. Yeah, you know, Shakespeare and Jane Austen. Uh, Then you have a movie like O, which doesn't work at all. Yeah, also with Julia Stiles. (laughs) Yeah, but you can't take a Shakespeare tragedy. Oh, oh, the Othello movie. You can't, like, set it in the high school. Like, Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann one, is it's teenagers, but like it works because Romeo and Juliet are teenagers, mm-hmm. and it's it also works over kind of the top like, in the perfect way. Yeah, it's so, Leonardo DiCaprio in a Hawaiian shirt. 
Yeah, like Rona Beach. <laughs> o doesn't work because it's set in high school, and it's this really Othello is one of my favorite Shakespearean tragedies mm. um, because there's there's so much to unpack. A lot of racial tensions and stuff. Yeah, Iago's the best Shakespeare villain in my opinion. Definitely, and like putting that story in high school. So then you have those weird. weird like high school sort of rom coms, but like drama that like don't work. Yeah, I caught that on television in like freshman year of college and my roommate and I were just watching it like what are we watching right now because it's like this it's like a dark like dramatic basketball movie that's also a Shakespeare movie that's also like a romantic comedy drama like it was really out there and we were just like we have no idea well I think also we came in like halfway through and we like googled what it was like what you know what's O, and then we were like oh it's Othello and we're just like this is weird very weird so what Um, do you guys think about um we have you know the classic Shakespeare with the modern twist adaptions with adaptations with 10 Things I Hate About You and Clueless. Well, that's Jane Austen. But then you have Amanda Bynes films like She's the Man or... Um, which is also Shakespeare. Which is also Shakespeare. But I feel like there's mm-hmm. a different vibe with it or like people perceive it differently. Like not as cl- not it's not as a, a classic like 10 Things. Which is unfortunate because She's the Man is hilarious. I I like cheese the man, but I think it was like too cheesy for me. I think Channing Tatum. Yeah, back when he was doing rom coms, little baby Tatum. I love it. I love she's the man. Like I miss. I actually really miss like early mid two thousands Amanda Bynes. They're fun. I was watching. She um, was really fun. Yeah. Um. What. What a girl wants is actually girl, that's one of my favorites. That's hilarious too, because like Colin Firth is also in it, who is another staple of the rom com genre, um, and he's there as just like you know the father figure, but he has his own love story too, and it's it's also a great one. Um, I absolutely adore that film. Isn't it an adaptation of something of a play? I think of a British. I'm play? actually not sure. I was I remember reading it up on on it. Um, let me look it up. You guys keep talking. We're gonna find it out. Um, but yeah, no, oh, I, I definitely I, feel like there is a different perception of, like, those types of, like, the Amanda Bynes sort of films and, like, EZA or Clueless, which have, like, sort of already become classic. Well, EZA is recent, but it's, I feel like it's already kind of become a mm-hmm. classic. It's definitely, like, it's, yeah, it's a classic millennial movie. Yeah. Oh, What a Girl Wants is an adaptation of The Reluctant Debutante, which is a 1955 play. Yes. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a deep cut. Yep. I sometimes feel that people perceive these teen movies as some being smarter than others. I feel like people don't see the Amanda Bynes ones as as clever, as clueless, or Ten Things I Hate About You. I definitely can see that. Um, I, I honestly that. like have that kind of opinion, too. Even though I enjoy the Amanda Bynes films, I still see Clueless and Ten Things I Hate About You as more iconic. Oh, agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I, think I, they're, they're, like, I think they're more iconic kind of because maybe the the humor is more fun is funnier um and that maybe it's more quotable but i mean that that might be just because i've seen more of clueless and 10 things better 10 things i hate about you like in our culture than i have the abandon the amanda Bynes movies from the 2000s uh what do you guys think yeah i feel like the the humor is definitely snappier there's a difference in the writing basically it's probably just like the quality of the writing agreed um, yeah, because they have, like, all the star power, but... And, like, the spark. Amanda Bynes was a great rom-com actress. So, we like the teen comedies. Yes. Rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Definitely like those. Do you think it's because, like, we were teenagers at the time? 
I think that's well, definitely we played a big part. Well, we were like three or four when Clueless came out. Well, yeah. You probably like, saw it when you know, we were teenagers. What a Girl Wants. How old were we when 10 Things I Hate About? When did that movie come out? That was like 1999. 1999. Okay, so we were like seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> showing up as millennials. I mean, it <laughs> is young We're little. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I feel like, but I feel like we kind of discovered those films when we got into high school and stuff. We kind of found them and watched them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I know that my sister was a big fan of Clueless, so we had the DVD um, when it came out, like, in 2004 on DVD. Um, and uh-huh. 10 Things That I Had About You um, were also, like, my sister's nine years older than me, so she had all these movies on VHS and DVD uh, that I discovered later on, like, when I was in, in high school and college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. And then, like, I, I know, like, for me, a big part of my rom-com history is my mom. Because mm-hmm. my mom really loves rom-coms. And so, like, I grew up watching them with her. Like, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail. Mm-hmm. So, like, especially those ones I grew up watching. So, like, they're also part of, like, a part of my childhood. No, agreed. That's the same with me. My mom was, you know, a Hugh Grant fan, a Colin Firth fan. So I saw a lot of those kinds of movies with her. Still fangirl over Colin Firth together. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Hugh Grant is, is like, my rom-com king. Like He is the rom-com king. He is. He's my favorite rom-com lead actor. Mm-hmm. He um, and Meg Ryan are the queen and king, I think. Yeah, I yeah. Although I feel like Hugh Grant's kind of... He's a little past his prime now, unfortunately. Oh, no, both of them kind of are. We don't have a new king and queen. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is we don't have these iconic actors and actresses doing these films like you know when we had Hugh Grant and Meg Ryan and Colin Firth and Tom Hanks you know they were staples (laughs) yeah and we don't have those like we had well we had Katherine Heigl for a while yeah but But, she she wouldn't be what you called like the sweetheart of America no no and yeah I think that's a really big reason is we don't have those stars anymore and I kind of wonder is it because stars don't want to become, like, a rom-com king and queen? I think that's a part of it, because the one star that you would expect to be kind of in that role, who's, like, I think considered the sweetheart of America now, Jennifer Lawrence, um, who is doing a lot of, you know, prestige movies. She did kind of a rom-com with Silver Linings Playbook. Um, but then again, it's kind of, it, that one kind of falls in the indie subversion rom-com film uh, type of movie. So... I think yeah. that the stars that you would expect to be seeing in these kind of in rom-coms um, are just going over to prestige movies right away. So. And I feel like they, I feel like sometimes even they look down upon them sometimes. Yeah. They're like, all right, I'm like graduating now and I'm doing better movies. Which is unfortunate. That's possible. There's a, I think there's definitely a stigma behind romantic comedies, even within the Hollywood community. Which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Because I'm going to go back in history now. With, we go to, like, Katherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn. Um, yeah, Cary Grant, Cary James Grant, Stewart. James Stewart. They all did rom-coms, like, way into past their prime. Like, they did them for a long time. Um, and some of their best movies are considered rom-coms. Um, Sabrina and, and, you know, Roman Holiday with for Audrey and then... Um, the Philadelphia Story, Bringing Up Baby. Um, oh, His Girl Friday with Cary Grant. Yes. That's Classic a great one. Mm-hmm. And like, but I feel like, was there a difference? I mean, those movies, like, had... Like, there's nothing like a Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, like, spark. Yeah. 
like, I just wonder if people, like, it was like, oh, but classic Hollywood, like, those were the good old days. Yeah. I don't want to be that person, but sometimes I feel like that's the case, especially with rom-coms. Yeah. I that's mean, that's the case with certain genres of movies, like mm-hmm. rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think there's, I think it's, maybe for actors, there's more opportunity to play different roles than now that we have, like, superhero movies and, like, different, and more, more, like, indie flicks and prestige films are more common now than they were. I don't know. Maybe it's just that they they feel like they can, they themselves can, quote, unquote, do better. But uh, it doesn't hurt to do a romantic comedy movie um, mm-hmm. unless it flops and they don't yeah. make their money back. But that's the thing is that we time and time again we've seen that romantic comedies can make money, but they just don't get, like, the maybe the, the, the legs to keep going after they're out of the box office. And so we see like movies like they get they become like a blip on the radar, mm-hmm. like Crazy Stupid Love. Like it was really popular, but we haven't seen more of those. Type, we haven't seen like these romantic comedies in 2015, in 2016. Um, although it's only been a couple of months, 2016. But never, nevertheless, we haven't seen a lot of romantic comedies, even though critically they're doing fine and mm-hmm. and financially a little bit. Yeah. So it's weird. It's just like the they're drowned out i feel like by you know all the sequels and all the franchises we i'm personally get excited for these kind of movies but then i realize that there isn't a lot of diversity in movie lineups anymore which is you know unfortunate so yeah mm -hmm. and speaking on that note um one of the aspects i wanted to bring up was the fact that we rarely ever get any romantic comedies with queer characters Mm. Which is really unfortunate. Um, so Catherine Heigl just did one with Alexis Bledel. Right, yeah. Forgot uh, that. I feel like Kelly's wedding or... Someone is getting married or something like that. Yeah. And I was really excited about it and then it got terrible reviews. That's sad. And it's, it's that line of like, well, I want queer characters in rom-coms, but I don't want them to be terrible movies. Jenny's like, wedding. We, Jenny's wedding. That's mm-hmm. what, not Kelly. Jenny's wedding. Mm-hmm. But we never really seem to get those. I always feel like if you have a movie that has a romance between queer characters, gay characters, it always has to be really serious. Mm-hmm. It always has to have a somewhat either bittersweet or tragic ending. It has to have a message. It has to be yeah, saying something. And, like, like, and those are great, but like, why can't the LGBT community also get like fun, lighthearted rom-coms or movies about being space pirates and like why like why can they only have movies with romance that have to be really serious and say something i think we will eventually for the lgbt lgbt community but it will take a while Um, as everything does yeah as everything does so i don't know i'm hoping that this whole death of the rom-com will end soon and, like, it's just, like, a cycle, you know? Like, in the 70s, we had a dearth of... We didn't have any um, rom-coms, and maybe we'll, we'll come back like they did in the 80s with uh, John Hughes movies and all the 80s teen comedies and that kind of stuff. So, I certainly hope yeah. so. Mm-hmm. And, I, and hopefully more traditional ones, too. Like, the, the subversion ones are really great in their yeah. ways. Like, I'd like to have a whole variety of rom-coms to choose from. I think so. Um... I have a question for you guys also. Yes. Um, I know, well, will be mentioned Judd Apatow moving to, TV, to Netflix with his uh, kind of rom-com series. 
Do you think we'll be seeing more rom-coms since we're not seeing them on the big screen? Do you think we'll be seeing them on the small screen? Well, the mini project. I think so. That's true. Mini project yeah. is a total rom-com show, mm-hmm. which is part of why I love it. It's because Mindy Kaling is constructs it as a rom-com. Yeah, and you can tell she loves rom-coms. It's, it's just like a big love letter to them. Even well, though remember, I think the pilot of the mini project was literally Mindy, uh, Mindy Lahiri talking about how she grew up on rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that's part of why I love the mini project. Yeah. So I think so. I mean, that's part of also, speaking of the LGBT community and stuff, like, that's sort of what MTV's faking it. Mm. It has elements of that. Mm. So I think there is room on TV. Apparently there's room on TV for everything that movies don't have room for. Basically. That's what what's happening with the, with the movies these days. Like, they're all going all superhero and franchise and sequels. Whereas all the good content, all the diverse content is going over TV, is what it sounds like. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I love both. So, like, I, I want both of them to be at their peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, and I love TV, but I feel like movies will always be my number one passion. Like, that's always my favorite medium. Mm-hmm. And then there's the problem of, like, there's too much TV. So, nice. you're missing that's, out that's all this great content. Yeah. I mean, to an extent, will it be like there are days when I'm just like, oh my god, there's okay. so much to watch. Will it be? We're not all like you. We can't binge a series in like two days. <laughs> okay, it took two weeks. It took two weeks. Okay, he's really good at binging, you guys. He has like he has it mastered. <laughs> I can't do it. I binge watched Angel the series in seven days. And you this, you that's five this? seasons. I know, that's five That's five full seasons. Jesus. He has it mastered. Like, TV is targeting people like Willoughby these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, and I can't do it. I can't, yeah. I mean... In our, in our next segment, I'm actually going to talk about this more, so I'll... I'll we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, is there anything else you want to say about rom-coms? Clearly, we like them. Mm-hmm. All of us. Yes. And we want them to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also want quality rom-coms. Yeah. We want to move yeah. back to quality, and we want to move back to just, like, that spark that is missing in rom-coms these days, and, like, those indie rom-coms. And hopefully, with future rom-coms, having more diversity in rom-coms, too. hmm That would be nice. Hashtag bring back the rom-coms. Let's get this trending. Let's do it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. let's move on to the last segment of our episode. Um, I really, 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 really like you. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah. It's it's a yes. long one, but you know it's worth it. <laughs> it is. All right, uh, who wants to go first? Anya, why don't you oh. go first? All right, so this will seem a little familiar to one that I had in the past, which is another Broadway musical album. <gasps> so for the past, past few weeks, I've been listening nonstop to the new album, uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. which is the new cast recording of the stage musical The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, which is a Disney production, Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz doing the music. Um, But it also draws in a lot more from the book, which means it is a lot darker than the Disney movie. Has a very darker, uh, has a much darker ending. Oh, wow. So they did change the ending to go in more with the book. Yep. They, yep. The ending is not happy. Um, Yeah. I listened to that. It's rough. It is. Um, it starts out, um, it actually started out as a German production, hmm. and you can find the German album online, and it's gorgeous, um, but they just did the English production as well, which is currently, I think, 
at the Paper Mill House in New Jersey. Um, and they just released a cast recording, and it is gorgeous. It's so, the music is, like, it gives me shivers every time I listen to it. They fleshed out some of the characters, like Captain Phoebus, and they've given him sort of a backstory as a haunted war hero. Um, Quasimodo is partially deaf from ringing the bells all the time. Oh. And so, like, when he speaks, it's sort of this, like, warbled kind of hoarse voice. And then when he sings, it's gorgeous. Um, it's really lovely. It's absolutely beautiful. We have the songs from the Disney movie, like, The Bells of Notre Dame and Out There and God Help the Outcast, but it also has new songs, which are so lovely. Um, and both of you guys will know the actress who plays Esmeralda. Who? Because it's Sierra Renee who plays Hot Girl. Oh, wow. Uh, the Flash and Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and okay. her. it's stunning. So, yes, you will also recognize her. It's really great. So, yes, that's what I really, really like right now. It's a wonderful album. So, yeah. Cool. Now, now that I know that, like, basically everyone on Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow are Broadway singers, I want them to do a giant crossover musical episode. Right? <laughs> That'd be amazing. That's what I'm saying. Everyone can sing. Let's do it. Buffy did Just, it. Can D- DC karaoke night. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, Willoughby, what is yours? Okay, I really, really, really like Friday Night Lights. Uh, I know I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I just finished it in two weeks' time. And uh, when I talked about it first on the show, I'd only watched the first five episodes. Um, So I didn't really have a good understanding of the entire show as it stood because I had only seen the pilot and a couple episodes after that. Um, But now that I've watched all five seasons uh, currently on Netflix – uh, I uh, have a much more definitive idea of what I think of the show. So basically, I'm just going to say it's great. It's one of the most well, the best. It's a really well done, well written show about high school football. Um, and it's much more than just high school football. It's all about you know the lives of these characters. Um, Coach Taylor, played by Eric Chandler, and um, his wife uh, Tammy Taylor, played by Connie Britton. They're the, the the foundation of the show. The show everybody circles around them. It's all about um, their like basically the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Trying to she she's a guidance counselor and at some point a principal of this of the high school. And he's the head coach, so they're tr- they are, they they both kind of master both worlds of the academic and the, and the um and the sports side of Dylan High School, which is the the high school that it's set in. Um, it's got a, a lot of like famous people who are who weren't famous when the show was running. We've got um, Taylor Kitsch, who I think that was his breakout role. Um, you might know him from True Detective season two and John Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't really got- like. Gained the kind of same, like, solid fame or anything since Friday Night Lights, has he? No, not really, but but people do know him as, like, he, like, I, you would consider him to be, like, like maybe a B-list celebrity, like, kind of A-list, mm-hmm. A-minus list, I don't know. But, <laughs> and we've also got, we've also got, um, like, Eric Chandler is doing his show on Netflix, Bloodline, which I've watched the first four episodes, it's pretty good. Connie Britton is on Nashville. Um, you've got Jesse Plemons, who you may know more as Todd from Breaking Bad, uh, who is basically blonde Matt Damon. Uh, uh, you've got, um, 
uh, Adrian Palicki, who is now on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Mockingbird. Um, it wasn't Michael and, B. Jordan in... And Michael B. Jordan was in the last two seasons, who we now know as uh, Adonis Creed, and he's also been in... He was in Fantastic Four, but that wasn't very fantastic. He's, my, he's my favorite Fruit rising Station. star. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a great... Um, he, he's shooting for the stars right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it's just got, like, a great cast, um, and, like, almost every episode, every other episode, like, pulls at my heartstrings, like, you know, like, I don't know why, and maybe it's, like, the team coming together for, like, their big win, like, that happens all the time, and I just love it, um, and I don't know, it's, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's feel good, because there's a lot of drama, and there's a lot of tragedy that goes on, but it's really, it, like, burns through a lot of plot, it's very, very melodramatic, um, it's like it's great TV. I think to, to put it succinctly, it's great TV. Awesome. So, yeah. I need to watch it. I'm putting it on my long list of shows yep, to watch. Same. <laughs> yeah. And Taylor Kitsch's character has a great arc where he's like the drunk bad boy, but like he turns into like he has to, he has like a heart of gold, and you really like come to care for the character mm. a lot. Yeah, also adding it to the long list, HT, which it grows longer and longer every day, it seems. Exactly. Too much TV. I know. Although, luckily, I did get Willoughby to binge all of season two of Gallivant. Wow. I was like, I... him stop watching other things and was like, no, you have to watch Gallivant. All right, I guess I should watch I, it, too. I, I paused my, my Friday Night Lights binge watch to uh, watch all eight episodes so far of Gallivant season two. And now I'm going to watch the out, finale. has ended. Oh, yes, that's true. Um, we are, by the way, we are recording this a little bit early, so that's why timeline yeah. things are a little... Timeline remnants. Timeline remnants. <laughs> timeline oh, remnants. Yeah. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly. Is there a dog? <laughs> yes, that is a dog. I'm very sorry. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. Hi, Anya's dog. <laughs> that's Ajax. Hi, Ajax. All right, HT, what okay. do you really, really like? My really, really, really like for this episode is Fargo, which I have started watching the second season of Fargo because uh, having not seen either the movie or the first season, which was not my intention. I intended to watch the movie first and then the first season and then the second season. But recently I was checking out FX's website and I saw that they had the whole of season two on there, but it was going to expire in four days. So I was like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Um, so I've been trying I'm, to. I'm binge. in the same boat, HD. Actually, yeah. yeah? For which one? For... I'm trying. I'm on Fargo season one. I'm trying to get to season two before they expire on in a couple days. Yeah. See, like I don't have the um, ambition that Willoughby has. I'm just like I'm just gonna watch the second season first <laughs> because. Well, it yeah. doesn't matter because they're anthology. Yeah, they're, they're an anthology series. Um, but I I'm really liking it so far. Like, um, I've kind of been missing having a good prestige television show to watch ever since, you know, the era of Breaking Bad ended and ever since I dropped Game of Thrones because uh, we'll talk about that some other time. Um, oh, no. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's kind of hard, like, being kind of out of the zeitgeist because I don't really watch Walking Dead or walk, or Game of Thrones and um, those shows I think that are really great um, that should be talked about more, like Mr. Robot, aren't as buzzed about as they should be. So Fargo is kind of my way of getting back into the topic of discussion, and it deserves its place there because it is amazing. 
Um, it has a really great cast, too. Um, not as... It has sort of as star-filled as Friday Night Lights, but in the way that they're kind of movie stars moving to television. So you have, like, Patrick Wilson, Kristen Dunst. Um, you have... Oh! Uh, Todd, Jesse, what's his name? Yeah, you also have Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons in there, playing, <laughs> you know, Fat Matt Damon. <laughs> um, and you have Nick Offerman. Um, oh, that guy from Burn Notice, I forgot his name, but he's also in there. Um, all the characters are so well fleshed out, especially, like, the female characters, too, which I was very impressed with. Um, it's just, like, the way they build Spence is so great and just completely riveting. Um it's a different cast from the first season, which had people like Martin Freeman and Billy... Um, Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton, yes. Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton. I was thinking, like, Billy Joel for some reason. That's not who he is. <laughs> <laughs> really weird. Yeah. Billy Bob Thornton. But, yeah, great cast, amazing writing, um, beautifully, beautifully shot. They do a lot of great things with split screens, which I'm not sure was a, was a part of, like, the movie itself. But, um, no, it wasn't. It was not. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's a really great way of just, like, building the tension. So I, I'm loving Fargo right now. I'm really, really, really liking Fargo. Um, <laughs> and I'm hoping I can get through the second season before it expires. So I'm just going to do it backwards. I'm going to watch second season, first season, and then watch, watch the movie. So that'll be my experience. You're kind of watching it chronolo- chronologically then. Yeah, because... Um, uh, the second season takes place in the 70s. Yeah. It's kind of a prequel to the yeah. first season. So. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I'm halfway through the first season of Fargo, and I've got... My mom watches it, so she 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 has them all recorded on season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I told her not to delete them. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I actually I'm gonna watch the first four on on demand, and then follow up with the the last six on recordings. See, binge watching has like a strategy now. You have to do things before oh, yeah. they get they I've got expire. A schedule. <sighs> After Fargo, oh, it's, it's too stressful. It's too stressful. All, it's... All, all ten seasons of X Files. Here we go. Oh my oh, god. god. Oh god. Okay. I've been watching X-Files, too, but on, like, the down low, I've just kind of been watching it as I work, and which is kind of better sometimes, because you don't really need to pay attention to every episode, but... Yeah. True. Very episodic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's my really, really, really like for the week. All right. Awesome. So, guys, uh, let us know what you guys think about romantic comedies, Fargo, Friday Night Lights, if you listen to the Hunchback album, definitely let us know. And Willoughby, where can they let us know? They can let us know on our Facebook page if you search Facebook for The Millennial Falcon. You can uh, find us on Twitter at on tw- at Twitter at Falcon Podcast. And we have a blog, uh, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We also are on iTunes. Please rate and review and subscribe on iTunes. We would love that so much. Um, and where can they find us on Twitter, guys? Um, I am at htranbui on Twitter. I am at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And I'm at Willoughby Dobbs. All right. Thanks Great for episode. joining us, guys. Bye, right. guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.